I guess it was just the way I was raised. I don't, I mean, we were always big into football and sports. You know, we were a football family. Loved the skins, despite the fact that they're just terrible. Um, but playing through injuries has always been glorified. You know, it's, oh, he took that hit and he kept going. Or, you know, yeah, he's got a broken arm, but it's padded up and he's playing through, you know, or... Really, that NFL football player is sitting out because he has a broken toe, you know? It's like those kinds of things, those offhand comments, and then you turn around and you suffer brain injury after brain injury after brain injury, and you're still going. Uh, I don't know. I don't know that it was one particular learning experience. I think it was just I was kind of raised in that whole vulnerability is weakness, and if you admit that you're hurt and that you need help, that's that's a weakness. That's you showing that you're not strong enough to take it. Hi, this is Brittany Souter, board member at Pink Concussions, former collegiate athlete, and you're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. This week I'm bringing you Brittany Souter, uh, who was a college soccer player. She's a current soccer coach and was a board member at Pink Concussions. Um, and she struggled with post-concussion syndrome for a very long time and had some had surgeries, did all sorts of treatments, and she's been, you know, through the ringer with, with her post-concussion symptoms. And um, we kind of have a weird connection in, in the soccer world, considering I'd never really played soccer. But, Brittany, can you kind of explain the, the connection? Yes, I believe your girlfriend played soccer at Gettysburg. Gettysburg yep. And I, I think one of her assistant coaches was Crystal Lee Malott. Okay. Who wound up being the last coach that I had in college. Okay. And where'd you play again? At Hood College, a small D3 program in Maryland. Okay, cool. And you grew up in Maryland, right? Yeah, yep. Nice. Um, So, Brittany, can you just start off by kind of taking us through, like, your early concussion history and, like, when all these, you know, many symptoms all arose for you? Yeah. Um, So my first diagnosed concussion was um, actually in 2008. It was my sophomore year of high school, and I was running the 4x400 in a track meet. I uh, started having an asthma attack about halfway through the race and didn't want to quit running because of the asthma attack, so I ran through it, through the finish line, and then passed out or fell over the finish line and knocked my head on the way down. Uh, I didn't really know what it was. It took a couple weeks to get a diagnosed as a concussion, but... When the symptoms weren't going away, we finally finally figured it out uh, a couple weeks later. And, and track is not really a, a common place where you hear about a lot of concussions. Um, no, I, I get that a lot when people find out that's how I got my first concussion. Yeah, so that's interesting. But a common theme throughout your story, which I was reading about on the Knockout Project, uh, which is Jay Fraga's uh, website. I think I interviewed Jay in episode 18 of the podcast. It was a long time ago. But cool. – We'll, we'll link that up in the show notes, but a common theme throughout it is that your like continual drive and your push and your like your athlete mentality to a T, and that's seems to be what kind of led to the first concussion. Um, so what like how long did those symptoms last after that concussion, and you know what what what, what kind of followed that? That one, you know, I really don't even remember. I remember. I went to the ER right afterwards, uh, right after it happened, because I guess I started slurring my words and kind of talking in circles. Um, So they took me in an ambulance to the emergency room and got discharged from there with instructions to miss the next day of school, but they didn't really find anything conclusive, so they just kind of released me. Which is Um, common. Yeah, pretty common, especially in 2008. <laughs> um, I would hope it's a little bit better now, but no mention of concussion or anything. Um, and I think it was about two weeks later, I was still suffering with symptoms. Um, Which included what? You know, at the time, I really think that it was just headaches. I was m- much more fatigued than normal. I was sleeping a lot, wasn't concentrating as well. Um, 
kind of wasn't walking in a straight line down the hallways at school. Um, I would go to track practice, but anytime I tried to do anything, I would get really dizzy. I was at, I did high jump, so trying to fling yourself over a bar probably isn't great for you when you have a concussion. Yeah, landing on the mat, whether it's soft or not, it's probably uh, jostling your brain around a little bit. Exactly. But, like, where did that mentality come from to, like, continually push, like, yourself? Was that something that you had when you were 15 years old, or...? You know, I think I was born with that, to be quite honest. Um, I kind of asked my mom when she first knew that I was just going to never stop and go, go, go until I was forced to stop. And she reminded me in second grade, so I guess I was eight or so, um, field day was like the best day of school ever. Yeah. I loved field day. And in the morning at some point, I believe we were doing the wheelbarrow race, and I broke my pinky in three places. <laughs> And she didn't find out about it until like 6.30 that night when she picked me up from daycare and she said my finger was like black and blue and dangling from my hand. And I was like, I think we might need to go to the doctor. And she asked me why I didn't say anything and I said I didn't want to miss out on field day. Uh, and that turned just to be a pretty common theme throughout the rest of my life, I guess. For so, sure. Just... It's crazy that it started that young and it wasn't yeah. like... Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I was a farm kid. Um my family just had that, you know, suck it up, power through. That was the mentality we had. Figure it out. Move on. So you grew up on a farm? Yeah, I call it a farmette. It was a little farm, but <laughs> I did 4-H, raised some cows. Okay, that's pretty cool. Oh, so, yeah, it was, it was fun. So you're, like a, you're like a cowgirl, so I could see like where that, that yeah, stereotypical was... toughness came from. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think I got that, that personality for sure. Cool. Uh, so from that concussion until college, you had a span where you were pretty concussion free for a while. So like, how were you able to avoid that? Or was it just purely luck? Uh, I think it really was just purely luck. You know, I mean, looking back, I remember a couple of times playing soccer. I don't remember if it was before or after that. I know some of them were probably after that where I would take a hit and, you know, see stars or you were down for a little longer than you realized you were kind of thing. Um, so I don't, you know, I avoided big ones just by sheer luck. Little ones, I think they were probably still there. So can you kind of take us through the concussions that you received in college? Like how they happened? At what position did you play? I mean, I'm going to be honest. I don't really know too much about soccer, uh, <laughs> despite the fact that my Girlfriend was a college soccer player, so you could say the position. I won't even know what the hell it is, but for the audience, I think it would be yeah. beneficial. Um, well, I played kind of all over the field, but my main position by the time I was done playing towards the end of college was a center back, so I was the most defensive person on the field with the exception of the goalkeeper. So that I, helps you. I think that's what Lauren did also, but I'm not positive. <laughs> Progress. Yeah. Um, so that was my most common position back there, and um, so I was kind of the last line of defense, literally, except for our goalie. Um, so I got my first concussion in college. It was my junior year, very beginning of the season in August, I guess. Yeah, in August. Uh, we were scrimmaging a local community college team, and... I guess Kim come to find out it was the first half of the game that I no I got no I think it was the second half it was the second half of the game I started getting really blurry vision just on one half of my eye of my eyes I think it was on the right side so I got called off um, and I just was trying to kind of shake my head clear of whatever was going on I really didn't have any idea trainer came over to me and kind of asked me like went through my symptoms and then asked me if I remember getting hit in the head at all. And I guess there was a play, I don't know how long before, that I'd gone up for a header, collided with another player in the air, and kind of got bumped sideways. And the ball, which was a punt from the opposing team's goalkeeper, just ended up kind of slamming me in the side of the head, as opposed to where it was supposed to go. So those punts are, like, kind of dangerous in that sense. Isn't there, like, a lot of talk about trying to, like, make rules that you have to let it bounce first or something yeah. like that? Yeah, I mean, definitely in the the worst headers I ever took were off of punts or shots or goal kicks, you know, the really big, powerful 
kicks um and yeah. punts are bad especially when they go really high and they're coming down and you're going up it's just gravity is uh against you yeah, it definitely rattles your brain around in there a little bit sometimes um so like so what what's the benefit of doing that like how would that change the game if you took that that component out of it personally i don't really think that it will i mean especially if like you're saying, they just change the rules to something like you have to let it bounce first. Um, I'm a huge proponent of eliminating the headers for the younger kids because I just really don't feel that it's necessary. I don't understand having an eight-year-old head a ball 20 times in a row. I don't get it, um, especially when there's so many other things they could be working on skill-wise when they're eight years old that's going to make a bigger difference in their playing long run. But I don't know. Big headers like that, I just... I don't see it making a huge difference in the game and definitely not one that's worth going through something like this. Right. I mean, kind of how I see it is like either you guys fight for hit, heading the ball off of the punt where you can expose yourself to injury or you fight to head the ball off of a bounce. Like either way, if it's coming from really high, like you're going to have to fight for it. So yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So, and then um, if, you know, if like what happened to me, your trajectory gets thrown off and you really get called off guard, that's, that's definitely going to mess you up when you're not prepared for it. You're not heading it the right way. You know, I mean, I realize air quotes that, there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. I realize that heading things the right way does not solve things a lot of time. Cause I knew how to head the ball and I'm still sitting here. So after this concussion in college, what were your symptoms? Like how long do they last for? Well, that one only lasted, I was back to playing in about two weeks. Um, symptoms were, not really were not that bad at that point. Um, they came and went, had, you know, headache, a um, little bit of confusion, some dizziness, some vision problems was my main problem at that point. Uh, but then early October, I got another one. Um, just fighting for the ball, got knocked down and got kicked in the back of the head while I was on the ground. And I continued to play through the rest of the game. Um, didn't admit what happened until afterwards. And this is how long after the, the first concussion? I was cleared to play from the first concussion on September 4th, and this was October 6th. Okay, so, so like six that, weeks or so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I finished the game and then got busted by my athletic trainer when I had cleat marks going up the side of my neck, and she was like, oh, what's that? Um. So reported the symptoms at that point after the game was over and then got sat out again. Um, and that was nearing the end of our season. Our seasons usually ended late October. Um, so our senior game was, I think, the last day of October that year. It was on the 31st. And I managed to get cleared to play in time for the senior game. which So that was three weeks later, I guess. Okay. And I was admittedly at that point still suffering from some symptoms. They were not nearly as bad as they were initially afterwards. You know, I still had headaches at this point. Um, I was back to pretty much my normal self with the exception of headaches. Um, I was still definitely suffering from headaches when I went into that game. But we had four seniors that year, and I was a junior, and those four seniors were my best friends in the entire college. Uh, I'd grown up with them for the last three years and I wanted to play in their senior game. So I went back and played and took a couple of headers. And by the end of that game was, I don't really know if you can call it re-diagnosed with a concussion, but all of my symptoms came back in a flood after that, after that game going through taking a couple of impacts. So were you honest with the athletic trainer during this time, like leading up to that game, or were you hiding some symptoms? Like were they like, eh, okay, like you're close enough? Or I would say leading up to that game was the time when I was the most dishonest with everyone, including myself, because I wanted nothing more than to just play in that game. Yeah, I've been there. Um, there were some notes that my athletic trainer took that said, I guess – as I was starting to go through the return to play process, I told one of my coaches that I didn't think I should play in one of the games that was coming up because I wanted to make sure I was full go for the senior game. Um, so you were hesitant a little bit. 
Yeah, I was hesitant. I think I I knew that if I was going to take a couple of hits that they were going to put me down. And if it was going to happen, I didn't want that to be in a game that didn't matter to me. Makes sense. So that was what I went through there. Um, But after that point, I was very close with our team's athletic trainer. Uh, She was young. She was our graduate assistant in the athletic training room. Um, She played soccer herself. So we were pretty close. Um, and And in talking to her... I was honest if they asked me a direct question. <laughs> I wouldn't look them in the face and bold-faced lie. But I tried to hide a lot of things um, just by omission or by downplaying. You know, I would go into the doctors and this brain and spine institute and see these people who are pretty messed up. You know, you don't go to Sinai for no reason. Um, and I'm like, geez, you know, I can walk, I can talk, I can run. Kind of. Maybe not without symptoms, but I can do it. Right. Physically. Uh, And I would go in there and I'd be like, yeah, I mean, I have headaches, but, you know, they're they're not that bad. I mean, they're just they're just headaches. You know, I can I can deal with that. Um, I mean, I only had a headache and I almost died because I played. So. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I always struggled with the being physically able to play and not. I never really understood that. Uh, you know, you, you break a leg, you're, you physically cannot go out there and play soccer. You really, you can't do it. But with a concussion, it's not that easy. It's. I, I think it's almost like how you're going to be perceived because, like, if you have a cast on your leg, like, no one's going to question the fact that you're not on the field. But when you have a brain injury that no one can see and on the outside like you said like you could run with symptoms but no one can feel your symptoms no one knows like if you're faking it or not faking it but like right yeah yeah and i i always struggled with you know people who had injuries that sat out of preseason uh you know that's convenient yeah we've all done that you run 20 miles a day like come on really and i so i never wanted to be viewed as that person i never wanted to be viewed as that weak kid, you know, that weak girl, the kid who couldn't suck it up and make it happen. Yeah. Uh, I, I think for kids who were those kids, because I was one of those guys too, like you don't want to be looked at as a kid who's sitting out with the hamstring injury or whatever. Not that those kids who were at practice didn't really have something wrong, but we perceived them as they were faking it because of the timing. Yeah, right? I think I think a lot of us are guilty of that. You know? Yeah, but if you are one of those – guys or girls who would who are known for pushing themselves and always going 100 percent like you have to be okay with it yourself that like you have to be confident enough in your own thoughts and your own decisions that like you know what like i need to take care of myself or else i can't play next week or the week after that you know like what people think of you is not as important as your health so yeah and you know i can't even say i'm not even sure my teammates ever had those views about me Right. It's you know, what it's your own it internal really was, dialogue. It was, exactly. It was just me. I was the one forcing those views on myself. Yeah. Um, so this wasn't the last concussion you suffered, right? No. That was only the beginning of the struggles. Um, so after, that, the, after the senior game, what, what, take us through that. What happened? So after the senior game, I, you know, they basically were like, okay, you have another concussion. We're going to sit you out. You're kind of done with. I mean, soccer was pretty much over at that point, uh, so that didn't really matter. But so I was resting. I was not playing soccer outside of that. You know, I wasn't playing indoor. I wasn't playing recreationally. I wasn't doing anything like that. Um, And I was having some, I guess that happened. Senior game was the end of October. So by December time frame, I was still having some relenting symptoms. So my athletic trainers... um, we found a neurologist together and um, they sent me to the neurologist to just be evaluated, see kind of what they thought about the situation. And I don't know if you guys, if anybody else is familiar with this, but in college they sent us to the doctor with a piece of paper that said why you were going there and then had the doctor write on the paper, you know, their views, what they thought during the visit and what their plan was from here on out. And he wrote on my paper that I was a healthy young lady and uh, I think if some, something about a bright future or something like that and released well, me full go was like, you're good. 
you're good to go. Go back to soccer. You're healthy. And I was like, all right. <laughs> you know, that's all I needed. So despite that, you were still having symptoms. Yeah. And I told him that, you know, it was written on the papers and, um, I was, I was honest with him in that, in that, in that office visit. I was honest. Um, but they didn't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand it now. This was not that many years ago, but a lot of us in the post concussion world have had so many experiences with bad doctors that at this point really doesn't surprise me. Um, but at the same time, like being an athlete, you look for the doctor who's going to tell you yes or to tell you what you want to hear. So I was not going to argue. He yeah. signed off. I was dancing the whole way back to the athletic training room with that paper in my hand. Yeah, I remember like after my head surgery, I asked if I could still play baseball. Like Obviously, football was out of the question. And one doctor was like, yeah, you can play baseball. Just wear like one of those catcher's helmets or a John Olrood helmet or whatever. Right. And then I was like, eh, I don't know if I want to do that. You know, because, like, that's not cool. So the helmet kid. Yeah, I'd be the helmet kid. So then I went to a different neurologist, and he was like, no, you don't need to do that. You'll be fine. He's like, you wear a a bat. He's like, the hole in your skull is on the other side of your head, like, away from the pitcher. He's like, you're fine. So I'm like, all right, I'm listening to this guy. Yep. Yeah. And and now in slow pitch softball, I wear one of those John Allroot helmets because (laughs) I've matured. (laughs) Yeah. It took a while to get there, though, right? Yeah. It took about 10 years. Exactly. Um, all right, so you got cleared to play, and then did you start playing again, and what happened? So, yeah, I immediately started working out, started playing indoor. Um, so he cleared me. It was middle to early December that he cleared me, and I was flooded with symptoms again and honest and telling my athletic trainers about it by um, what was it? early February. I was complaining of symptoms again, and I really couldn't hide from my athletic trainers because not only was I an, was I an athlete, but I was a student worker in the athletic training room. So you were constantly so there. In there all the time, um, and I actually had my right eye would droop, um, so it would be the worse my headaches and my symptoms got, the further closed my right eye would be. So I really couldn't hide; like it was it was written literally all over my face. <sighs> when my symptoms were bad. Um, So I was flooded with them by early February, and that was when I went to the concussion specialist at Sinai. Um, We tried steroid injections. I was on all kinds of medications, Um, ice, heat. I was diagnosed with occipital neuralgia, um, which I don't know how familiar you are with that, but it's basically... Irritation of the nerves in the back of your head. Um, So they said that that's what was causing all of my headaches. Um, And in turn, if you have headaches all the time, that's going to mess with your concentration. Um, So that was was what they were treating at that point was the occipital neuralgia. Blake, how did they come to that diagnosis? Like was it an MRI or? No, my MRIs and my CTs were all clear. Um, There were some tender points at the back of my head and my neck that when they pushed on them, the pain would go straight up to my eyes and it would make my headaches and my symptoms worse. Um, And as far as I know, that was kind of the diagnostic tool for that. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm making skeptical faces over here only because... Five years later, so am I. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's one of those things like... I mean, I've worked in the physical therapy world and I've had a lot of physical therapy myself. Like normally when you look for those trigger points, you try to get things that make it feel better, not like make it worse. (laughs) So, yeah, this, so they made it worse by pushing on that spot. Um, so then they injected some steroids into it to heal it. Um, maybe get the inflammation down or something, get the inflammation down. Right. So that the irritation would go away and it did not (laughs) cure my symptoms. They tried that I believe two times they said they could try it up until three before they would move on to the peripheral nerve surgery. Um, They only ended up doing it twice, and since it made no difference either time, they decided to not bother with the third time, and we moved on to talking about the surgery. Okay. Um, So the surgery, the goal of it was to remove the scar tissue around my occipital nerves. Assuming that there was scar tissue there. Right. But, again... Five years later with our skeptical caps on, what happens when you have surgery? You create scar tissue. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So 
in June that summer, summer after my junior year, I had surgery on the back of my head. Um, and they cut it open pretty much directly across where your neck meets your head um, on both sides and I guess removed scar tissue um, and then sewed me back up. And after the surgery, immediately I had headache. Um, but the next three months, so throughout that summer, I had a pretty normal life. Like I still had some headaches and some dizziness occasionally, but my symptoms overall were far better than they were before going into the surgery. So I was healed. Right. <laughs> well, it, it could it have been that you were just so far removed from your concussion that like the concussion itself healed? Yeah. Like what, what fixed what? Yeah. You don't know. Yeah, for sure. We definitely don't know. And the symptoms also weren't fully gone either. Right. Um, no, I did still have headaches every day, but those were diagnosed as post-traumatic migraines. Um, so it, throughout this process, did you get like second opinions or did you like trust like one doctor? Yeah, probably the biggest mistake I made through it all. Okay. No, that's how, that's how we learn. That's why we yeah. talk about this stuff. So yeah, I trusted that one doctor and my athletic trainers were amazing through all of this. Um, they were very involved through it all. Uh, I, spe- I think especially because we had such a close relationship because they knew me. I, I was there every day. What were they saying? Days. They were skeptical also. Um, but, but they you're, also you're desperate. Yeah, yeah. They also didn't know. Um, they came to doctor's appointments with me uh, throughout my senior year, kind of just getting clarification on should she really be cleared to play soccer? Like, is this is really okay? Right. And every time we got the yes, yeah, she's good to go. Um, so God bless them. I, I will credit my graduate athletic assistant or graduate assistant athletic trainer with my life like any day. Um, she Athlet, was an athletic trainer saved my life, so I'm all about yeah, those ATCs. Definitely. Um, and she was on me like a hawk through my whole senior year. You know, I didn't get any diagnosed concussions my senior year, and I really don't know that I had any. I don't think I did, but um, I was I was a header, you know. And in the center back, I was, like I said before, I was the last line of defense kind of before that keeper. So I really – I risked my body for a game every single time. You know, if it came down to this is going to go in the goal or I'm going to head it, I was going to head it every time without a doubt. Um, and if I was going up against someone else who was going to head it, I wasn't going to lose. I was right. going to head her um, no matter if it was powerful or not. I mean, I, I can completely relate to you because I almost like died for a game. And yeah. it was, I knew someone was wrong. I didn't tell anyone because I wanted to be tough. I wanted to be the guy. I wanted to be this. I wanted to be that. And when you're 17 or in your early 20s, yeah. it, it seems like it's worth it, but it's, yeah. it's really not. All right. <laughs> so while we're on the topic, like, I'm assuming your soccer identity had a lot to do with this, these decisions, even to come back after you had a surgery on your neck to relieve the symptoms and you know, like what in your head was like, all right, I just had the surgery. I'm starting to feel better. Let's go play soccer. The thing that made me, you know, oh hurt again. It wasn't even a question. Like it, it really wasn't. It was all right. Am I good to go? Like I'm going, let's go. We're going to play soccer. It was, it was my life. You know, I talked to my athletic trainer just recently kind of we, she still obviously is an athletic trainer. She's down in Florida and has a lot of high school athletes. Um, and I coach young athletes now. So we, we talk a lot about the things that we went through together because she was by my side through it all. Um, and I, I kind of asked her, you know, the kinds of things that I said. And she was like, you always just repeated it. it was a passion. Like it was a passion to play. You loved it. It was, it was an honor and a privilege to be on the field. And I, soaked up every second of it um the thought of not playing was like it was as unfathomable to me as like losing both my legs like you I might as well have lost both my legs and I she said I probably still would have gone out there and tried to play soccer like yeah. without it in my it's just who I was it was and even now I'm 
can't play anymore, but I have, it's like my fix. I'm like addicted to it or something. I don't, I don't know. What, what about it makes you like addicted to it? You think the drive, the competition, the strive of athletes to get better every day and then seeing the results, um, the camaraderie in a team, the coming together to achieve a common goal, everything about it. I love, I've always loved pushing myself to my limit just, just to see how far I can go. Yeah. And to see if I can go a tad bit further than the person next to me because that's who I am. I'm, I'm a competitor. I get all. it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess like did you ever have any like hobbies or interests outside of the game while you were in high school or college or even now? Like what – now that you, you're away from soccer, like I, I, in terms of playing – you know, how do you, like, what makes you feel alive, I guess? You know, I, I've had to develop things after I lost soccer. It really wasn't until soccer was no longer an option that I started to have to find other hobbies because I really didn't have any. You know, I did 4-H, I raised cows, and I, but that was, I don't know, it wasn't the same. It wasn't the passion. That was, it was different. It was productive, and it was fun for time and I had some cool friends and had some fun experiences, but it wasn't the same. Um, and I never knew. I mean, I've always loved animals. Now I, I hike. That's like my number one thing, spending time in nature, going hiking, reading books. Um, but all things that I only enjoyed minimally until soccer was no longer a choice. I really didn't explore outside of soccer. It was year round all the time. Do you think athletes, can reach like the collegiate level or like an elite level of sport and have hobbies outside of their sport? Absolutely. I think it's almost crucial that you do that. Do you Um, wish you had one when you were going through all the concussion stuff? Yeah, I do. Um, You know, I'm not one to say that I wish I could go back and change anything because I I don't. Yeah, but I think it's productive to talk about it. Yeah, but yeah, but I I do wonder if it would have made a difference for me. Like I felt that my whole life was soccer. So losing soccer was not an option. You know, it was, it was everything. Right. If I had something else that, you know, I didn't, my eyes really weren't open to the fact that there's, there's more to life than soccer. There's more to life than sports in general. Right. Um, yeah, I always think back and, I'm like, you know what I wish I did in high school? I loved high school. I like had a great experience and everything. I'm like, the one thing that I wish I did was to join like or to take part in like one of the school plays or something. Yeah. I'm like, I was so worried about being the freaking tough guy, like having the biggest muscles, being the fastest kid, being the most athletic guy. I'm like, the toughest thing I could have done was to join the freaking play and to like do a <laughs> musical. And like I love singing, I love dancing, like like I love doing all that stuff, like I would have really enjoyed it, but I was so fixated on this like masculinity like yeah idea that I was like, nah, I would never do that. Like I'm too way too cool for that. Right. But that that kind of thing, like when you have these other passions and like the arts or in nature, like you said, like with hiking, you know, it, it gives you something to fall back on because sports are going to end at some point for everyone. So exactly, definitely. So while you were going through all these symptoms. Uh, how did you kind of deal with like the isolation being away from your teammates and you know, that, that kind of struggle that a lot of people struggling with PCS have? Yeah. You know, I really didn't start struggling with those things until after I was out of college and away from soccer completely, because the only time I took away from the game when I was in college was when I was, I mean, the pain at that point for me was, beyond imaginable there there wasn't enough time to think about oh like I wish I could be out with my friends it was like oh my gosh my head is literally exploding like I can't even think through the pain that I'm feeling at the moment um didn't you say in one of your articles that there's like a name for it with the kind of pain that you had like it's like the kind of pain that people like kill themselves over like it's like a suicidal yeah I was diagnosed with trigeminal neuralgia that's the Um, one yeah kind of in the middle of all of this, which is nerve pain that is in your face. It's in your jaw, your forehead, 
just and it's only on one half. You have two trigeminal two trigeminal nerves. You have one on one side and one on the other. And you don't have trigeminal neuralgia pain on both sides at one time. It only attacks one side or the other. Um, in one particular instance, like I could suffer from the right side right now and turn around and suffer from the left side tomorrow, just not at the same time. Um, but yeah, it's it's nicknamed the suicide disease because the pain is just so out of this world that so many people have committed suicide because the pain is just unrelenting and there's nothing you can do right. when you're in back. That's got to be a, a scary place to be in. Um, I know, like, we're going to talk about playing through injuries a little bit. And in, one, in your post on the Knockout Project, you talk about how Pele had played with a broken leg and the Canadian goalkeeper got hit in the head, like, kneed in the head, and she, like, still played or something. So, like, when did you first learn – was it that second grade thing, like, at a field day? Or, like, when did you first learn to play through injuries? You know, I think that was one of the first times that – it was blatantly obvious that I would play through injuries, but I really don't know where I learned it. I guess, I guess it was just the way I was raised. I don't, I mean, we were always big into football and sports. You know, we were a football family, loved the skins, despite the fact that they're just terrible. Um, but playing through injuries has always been glorified. You know, it's, yeah. oh, he took that hit and he kept going or, you know, yeah, he's got a, broken arm but it's padded up and he's playing through you know or really that NFL football player is sitting out because he has a broken toe you know it's like those kinds of things those offhand comments and then you turn around and you suffer brain injury after brain injury after brain injury and you're still going uh, I don't know I don't know that it was one particular learning experience I think it was just I was kind of raised in that whole vulnerability is weakness and if you admit that you're hurt and that you need help that's that's a weakness that's you showing that you're not strong enough to take it um so as a as a coach now how how do you talk to your athletes and what what advice do you give them to kind of prevent that same mindset it's a hard line um because some some kids have that edge that you know you've got to be careful um and other kids just they don't, they're not as interested in pushing through those injuries. I don't know if it's the way they're raised or it's a personal preference. Yeah, I have a younger brother and a younger sister, my little sisters, and they both play soccer. Uh, little sister's 14 in high school, little brother's 13. Um, and she's a little bit more willing to kind of try to push through the injuries, whereas my little brother is He's kind of like a typical soccer drama queen, you know, he takes a little hit and he falls for a little while and he flops on the ground and he's hurt and, you know, typical in that way. <laughs> but, and they, I don't know, they were raised a little bit softer than me, I guess, because of our, my experience. But we just, we really try as a family to acknowledge how each other are feeling and acknowledge injuries and acknowledge what people are going through now. Whereas before it was that buck up, push on, you know, suck it up, shove it under the rug, make it happen mentality. We've tried to change that. Um, and when I'm training athletes, I really try to stay away from the phrases that pushed me to become that person. Like pain is weakness leaving the body. And I was like my motto, you know, I was, I was on board with that saying, um, and I try to stay away from those because pain is there's a difference between pain and an injury, right? Like, um, yeah, fatigue and, and an injury. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's a difference between sore muscles and being really tired and not quite able to hold that plank longer and my brain is swelling. <laughs> I yeah. should stop playing. You know, there's a difference. So it's it's a hard line to walk, I think, especially when you have kids that are they're so impressionable. Um, and For they sure, just, yeah. They hang on your every word. Right. And I remember that. Like, I remember looking to my coaches as gods. You know, they they knew everything. My parents didn't know a thing. But my coaches, they had it together. You know, they knew. Right. And coaches are the ones that, you know, they're the ones that want you on the field. They're the ones that push you in the, in that realm. Um, Don't always have your best interests in mind in some cases. <laughs> right. You know, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. 
But it also doesn't help if you're not being honest with them, too. So you can't blame yeah. them completely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But your coach, you really don't want to, like, tell your coach that you're hurting. You know, your coach asks you, yeah, coach, um, I'm, I'm in. I'm limping halfway there, but I'm in. I'm, you need me, I'm there. You right. know, you don't want to tell your coach that. I don't know. I feel you. Did you suffer any other injuries throughout your career, like non-concussion related? Um, I had a lot of trouble with my ankles my freshman and sophomore year of college. Uh, my freshman year, I was actually out the whole season. I ended up redshirting. Well, that's I, a good way to not get concussions. Yeah, it is. <laughs> you know, I think that probably played a part in that little span of safeness there. <laughs> that's what I was uh, going to say. <laughs> I didn't play my freshman year and my sophomore year. I was like, I played for a week and I twisted an ankle and I was out for three days and I played for a week and I twisted an ankle. It was my sophomore year was a nightmare. Um, but other than that, you know, I had asthma that was pretty bad, but no other injuries from soccer other right. than the concussion. Uh, what coping strategies do you recommend for athletes who are going through PCS and really has struggled like or are struggling like you struggled? Well, depending on where they are in their recovery, um, the very first thing that helped me was finding the concussion community. Um, first thing I found was the knockout project and Jay. And that was like, that turned my life around just knowing that you're not alone, you know? And anytime I hear someone going through this, it's amazing how many kids think that, you know, they're like one of the only ones. And in our world, this is so common. Like it's scarily common how frequently this happens, but when it happens to you, and you don't realize that there's thousands or hundreds or however many other people across the globe that this has happened to and is happening to, that's life-changing. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought I was crazy for a while there. I was like, I haven't played soccer in months, you know, and I can barely walk into a restaurant without getting sick or being knocked down for a couple of days with symptoms. So that was one of the biggest things for me was finding that community. Um, and then after that, I really turned to the hiking and the nature. That was my first way of being physically active again, because when you're suffering, suffering with post-concussion syndrome, you feel like you're the weakest person in the world and you really can't do much of anything without the sensory overload, um, or exhaustion. But I was able to walk through the woods and it helped me feel productive and it was, kind of a way of practicing mindfulness without just, you know, the way you think, I think of practicing mindfulness is kind of like you have to sit there in a quiet room and like be quiet. And that's, some people can do that, but I don't know many athletes that can. Yeah, certainly not me. So hiking was a way for me to do that. You know, it got me away from the commotion of the world and I was able to walk and just kind of enjoy what was around me and not constantly be thinking about how bad my head hurt or how much I wasn't able to do anymore. Right. Uh, no, I actually love that. And I haven't really heard anyone on the podcast, like mention that idea. But like, now that I think about it, like some of my favorite times I'm when I'm like riding my road bike, like, and I'm just outside on a nice day, wind blowing yeah. through my, my face. And yeah. you're just like, you're one with nature. You don't have to think about anything. So Absolutely. yeah, I can completely relate to what you're saying. Yeah. So how are you feeling today? You know, I'm doing pretty good today. i kind of took a hiatus from life this summer um, from Maryland, but I've spent the summer mostly in um, western New York outside of Buffalo. Um, one of my biggest triggers is the heat down in Maryland. My body just can't handle it anymore. And it's so much cooler up here. So I've kind of spent the summer at like a out in the woods and in a cool environment and away from all of the craziness of symptoms every single day, day in and day out. And it's made a huge difference for me. Okay. So you found something that's been helping. So do you ever have a day with like out any symptoms or? No. Uh, I use now I use that stupid one to 10 pain scale that I hate so much. Uh, just cause I've been asked it so many times since all of this started, but I use that pretty much every day now just to kind of judge how I'm doing. Um, and there was a long, long time that I kind of lived at 
you know, one being the best, 10 being the worst. I kind of lived at a seven of pain. That's just, pretty bad. Just constantly. And that wears you down in all senses. Um, and I'm thrilled to say I'm more at like a four now, day in and day out after this summer. Um, so I still have symptoms. I still always have a headache. Um, and I really have to monitor how much I do each day. You know, I can't spend too much time behind, at a computer. I can't spend too much time reading a book. I can't spend too much time out in the heat. Um, I really have to moderate everything. Otherwise, I'll pay for it for days straight. And then my symptoms will be right back to a seven for three to four days. And I have to dig myself back out of that hole all over again. So when you wake up in the morning, do you say like, all right, where am I on this scale? One to ten. Then you kind of like base what your day is going to be like, like depending on that. Yeah, usually I've had to get in a real um, – I've really had to kind of commit to not committing to things because when I do, I feel like I have to do it. You know, I – and that just makes my symptoms worse. Pushing through my symptoms just is not worth it. So I wake up, I have a protein shake, I take my supplements, and within the first hour I kind of have a general idea. Am I above a five or am I below a five? Um, and below a five, I can be kind of active and I can do what I can do and I just got to watch it. Um, if I'm above a five, I have to go more down the path of self care for that day. And it's beyond annoying and it's yeah. horrible, but in the long run, it's made a huge difference in my day to day symptoms. So you're kind of alluding to it now, but like, how do you prioritize your health today? Like as an athlete, I, I was you know, I, I did the same thing. Like I didn't, I never prioritized my own health. I put everything above my health and you did the yeah. same thing. And that's kind of how we both ended up how we did. So Absolutely. how do you prioritize your health today? Well, it really just, it starts with prioritizing me in general. Um, when I don't think I can do something, I say no, which is something it took me a really long time to do. Um, and it, I have to say no much more frequently than I like, unfortunately. Um, but I do it because I know that it's going to be better for me. Um, and I don't, I don't commit to too many things long term. You know, I'm, I'm a nanny and I coach, but I am blatantly honest. And people that I work for, people that I know, people that I'm close to, they all know what I'm dealing with and what I'm going through. So I'm like, hey, I'm here and I'm on board. I want to do this, but this is what I'm dealing with. And sometimes I just can't hack it. And you've either got to be okay with that or this is, really isn't going to work for me, you know? And it's, I'm fortunate that I'm able to do that. I have four amazing parents, um, both remarried. Um, and so I'm, I'm blessed with the people that I'm surrounded by and the parents of the kids that I coach and the parents of the kids that I nanny and everybody, they've been really supportive and through this. And that's, that's been huge. You have to have a good support system. Cool. How, how has this reflect, affected like your relationships and stuff like with your friends or, uh, I don't know if you want to go into romantically, but it's, it's been hard. Yeah. Um, I know who my friends are. I'll say that for okay. sure. You know, the ones who have stuck by my side through thick and thin, you know, they may not have physically been there the whole time, but they they don't give me crap when I have to cancel last minute, and they don't give me crap when I have to cancel our plans three times in a row. <laughs> um, I have a friend, you know, my friends are 24, 25, 26. What do your friends want to do who are that age when they get together? You guys want to go out to the yeah. pub? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't do that. I don't do the bright lights. I don't do the alcohol. I can't. Yeah. Um, and so my friends have been awesome. They come to my house, and they sit on my porch, and we talk, or we watch a movie or we go for a walk, we go for a hike. Um, they, they are really, really accommodating to me. Um, but you also lose some friends that way too. And it's, it is for sure hard being in the dating world when that's an issue. First date. Um, could we go like to a coffee shop or yeah, you something know? a little quieter? <laughs> yeah, it's hard, but you make it work. All right, cool. Uh, so we've kind of touched on this bef like before, but in terms of the, your transition to life after soccer, like what what are you up to now? I know you're you're coaching. I read that you were uh, trying to earn your master's degree. Yeah, I um applied and 
enrolled at the California University of Pennsylvania, which has a huge online program. Okay. I've heard of that school. It's wonderful. I started it last fall um, or last, I think it was last fall. Um, and it's their exercise science, health promotions, um, sports psychology, injury prevention. Um, that's where my, I don't even know if you would call it a major in graduate school, but yeah, my concentrations, um, that's I, where I'm focused. I'm interested. Well, can you tell me a little bit more about like the injury prevention side? Like what, what kind of stuff do they like teach you? you? Know, I actually had to take a medical leave after getting two back-to-back concussions last year. So I've been out of it for eight months or so now. Um, and I haven't gotten to that point yet. Okay. Um, and I'm super excited to do so. I'm hoping to re-enroll this winter. Um, the last eight months have been digging myself back out of that hole again. Wait, so those concussions are those, what were those from? They were just life. Uh, one of them was a dog and one of them was a kid. Uh, just bad luck. I get them so easily at this point. Um, kid accidentally headbutted me in the face. <laughs> it was bad. And that was right before I was flying to uh, Palo Alto, California for one of our medical conferences for pink. So I think I, God bless Catherine Snedeker. I think I spent half of the trip sleeping in the Airbnb and the other half at the conference trying to, trying to be helpful. Well, it's like kind of like a when in Rome thing. Like she, she probably yeah. like shouldn't be that surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I mean, They've been wonderful and the, it was, it was, it all worked out, but yeah, those, those were just bad luck and I don't know, got through it. Okay. So as we kind of wrap up the interview here, can you tell us a little bit more about pink concussions and how, you know, PCS and concussions in sport are unique in, from a female's perspective? Yeah. Um, you know, pink has, pink really focuses on obviously the female, awareness side of everything um and we've i say we Catherine really is the brains behind this all but she um we've gotten three different support groups set up on through facebook so we have a young women's group for high school and college age kids who have pcs and then we have another one that's 25 plus for women um and i think we have over a thousand members in those groups now and the women are just truly unbelievable. I mean, the community is just, somebody posts a question or a problem or just whatever emotional breakdown of the day that they're having on there. And within five minutes, they have three, four people chiming in, responding, cheering them up. Um, so that side of it has been wonderful. We've also had, right now, actually, it's funny you say when in Rome, because right now, Catherine is in Rome. Um <laughs> uh, Doing Pink Four, our fourth medical conference over there with a bunch of doctors focusing on the female side of things. Um, I'm not as great with the science behind how females are affected differently, but um, our hormones play a huge part. Um, depending on when in the menstrual cycle the female sustains a concussion will change the amount of the different levels of hormones in their brain. Um, and that can affect how long they're affected by their concussion or how severely they're affected by their concussion. Um, wow. I had no that, idea. Yeah. That is one aspect of it. Um, I also heard at a conference last year that say we have a wheel, a pie. Um, there's kind of four main sections that a guy will deal with after a concussion and for symptom wise. Um, and a female has more like six, one of those added slices of the pie was fatigue. Um, females just deal with a lot higher instances of extreme fatigue after their injuries, um, and long standing for a long period of time. And I quite honestly can't remember what the second pie was at the moment. We're not testing yet. It's okay. And it bug me. I failed that <laughs> test. <laughs> um, Pink has been wonderful. You know, I think obviously football has come to the forefront and therefore research in male brains has come to the forefront, but the research in the female brains is just not there. Um, I know you had Christopher Nowinski on here recently and they have their brain bank up there at BU. Yep. Um, 
And the last I heard, they only had a handful of female brains in the bank at all. Are you a donor? Um, I am. Proud donor for the last year and a half, probably. Um, hoping to keep it for a while, though. So. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I would like to learn, but not that bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think we're doing a lot of good work with Pink, and Catherine's bringing a lot of awareness to that side of things. And hopefully... The research is getting there, so hopefully we'll be learning more about how we can maybe treat females differently. Cool. Here soon. So, where can people like find you on social media and and get connected with Pink Concussions and that kind of stuff? So, Pink Concussions, uh, we have our own website, pinkconcussions.com. I'll link it up in the show notes. <laughs> awesome. Uh, we also have our Facebook page that's open to anyone. You can like us on there, um, get all of our up-to-date information. And then from there, you can also find the links to each of the three support groups. Um, and we, we really keep it. So it is, uh, the third group that I mentioned that I forgot to mention is we have a caregivers group as well for parents. Um, people that are supporting those going through post-concussion syndrome. Um, so you can find the links for all of those, but we really, we really keep them to only people who are affected by it. So, um, you know, we don't really let doctors or people that are not personally affected by it into the groups. We really try to keep it as a safe space. And I think we've been pretty successful at doing that so far. Everybody's been really, really pleased with that. Um, we also have Twitter. Pink Concussions has a Twitter. Um, and I believe we have an Instagram as well, but Facebook is definitely our most active with the support groups and Catherine's pretty active on Twitter too. Okay. And last question I asked this to most guests is what's your definition of toughness today? This has really changed a lot in the last six years. Um, and I now, def I'm not, are you familiar with Brene Brown at all? Mm, no. She's kind of been life-changing for me, um, and my now definition of toughness is the ability to be vulnerable um, because of her, um, and I really would recommend her to pretty much anybody. She's is she an author, I'm assuming? She is. She's an author. She's a researcher. She's a social researcher. Um, she's a social worker, and she researches um, shame and belonging and... A lot of things, um, vulnerability, courage, um, and she kind of points out that, like I mentioned earlier, so many of us are raised to believe that vulnerability and weakness are one and the same. Uh, you can't be vulnerable without being viewed as weak. Right. But I've come to learn that I think being vulnerable is the hardest thing to do and the reason we don't allow it is just because we're afraid of the backlash that's going to come you know being vulnerable takes a lot of courage um sharing everything that you're going through i mean we talked about jay fraga fraga i know neither of us i don't think i, know go, how fraga. To <laughs> I go fraga normally too um i think he's the toughest dude i know and he is blatantly honest about the things that he's having to deal with and I think it's scary to be honest with, with what he's going through and what we're going through um, with all of this, especially when you have family members that are going to be worried about you. So right. I think that's the toughest thing to do of all is to be honest about what you're going through, be seen for who you are and have to roll with the rejection that may come from it. Yeah. And I think that's a great definition. And, you know, I, I never had post-concussion syndrome, to be honest, like even though I had I almost died from a concussion. Yeah. <laughs> I never really had any of these symptoms that you guys had. And part of me thinks that I'm like super lucky because I didn't have to deal with a lot of your struggles. But when I think back to my decision to play with a concussion, not that I it was diagnosed, but I knew someone was wrong. And yeah. it, I would have expressed more toughness by going to my coach or my athletic trainer and saying, you know what, I can't play today and being vulnerable that, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, and things would have been much differently had I done that. And looking back, that's really tough. Like, playing yeah. injured and playing at half your capacity, like, anyone could do that. Like, it's 
you know, exactly. that's what you're expected and, to do. So and has a predictable outcome. You know, I mean, how brave are you really playing through an injury when you know the outcome is it's, it's going to get worse? Right. That's, that's the outcome. There's no question about it. Um, there's a quote. Brene Brown wrote a book called Rising Strong, and it saved my life when I was in the midst of trying to rise from no longer being an athlete and trying to figure out who I was. Um, and she says that people who wade into discomfort and vulnerability and tell the truth about their stories are the real badasses. And, you know, that's what you're doing here. It's what I'm doing here. It's what Jay does with the Knockout Project. And, you know, I think we can only hope to make a difference in other people's lives. But I think that's what takes the toughness. Cool. I got to sure. try to get this lady on the podcast here. It sounds like she'd be a good fit. Unbelievable. Cool. She's good. Well, Brittany, thank you very much for taking the time, and I hope that this interview doesn't exacerbate your symptoms at all today. Um, but thanks for being vulnerable and sharing your story to hopefully prevent other athletes from making the same mistake that we did. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.